I'm Chief Cheryl Victorian. This is Waco PD on the beat. Whether it's crime or just getting to know the Waco Police Department, we're here to talk about things that matter most to you. Hello, Waco, and welcome to Waco PD on the beat. I'm Sierra Shibley, your public information officer. And I'm Officer AJ Smith, the Crime Stoppers Coordinator for McLennan County. And we wanted to just uh, start this episode by um, giving our condolences to the community, the teachers, the students, first responders of Uvalde. Um, just such a tragedy that happened on Tuesday. Just an unimaginable event that took place and uh, the amount of suffering that those people are experiencing. Right, right. I mean, we've said it time and time again about, uh, you know, it. The life is just valuable. It is uh, just respect for life is something that's so important and uh, kind of um, is what we're going to be talking a little bit about in our podcast today. Uh, we're going to have uh, Betty Beard, who is an active member of our community, um, and also Sergeant Cassie Price is going to come on a little bit later of our gang unit just to talk about um, the, the uh, gun violence we've seen in our area, the shootings we've seen in our area, um, and how the city here is working to uh, work on getting those situations handled and taken care of. Yeah, the, the incidents that we're having, like we we don't want to see, we don't want to have to investigate more loss of life. Right. Uh, we want to make our community safe and bring us together to do what we can for that. So we have Betty Beard, and like we said, she is a very big community uh, advocate, community member. She does uh, helps the community in a multitude of ways. I'll let her explain a little bit about uh, what she does, but something most recently you might learn is the, uh, is it Parents Against Crime Coalition? Did I get that yes. right? Wonderful. So talk a little bit, um, you know, about why you as a community member want to be involved in what's going on today. Well, I'll tell you, I guess I've always been an advocate for, you know, doing things in the community, volunteerism, but also taking care of people. You know, my thing is, if there's a problem that we can solve together, then I think we should. So I am a gerontologist, I'm a social worker, and I uh, spent some time working with juvenile um, probation department. And I learned that a lot of times what we do with families in the community is we don't work together to solve a problem before it becomes a crisis. And <clears throat> when I was working with uh, 76707 Community Youth Development Program Project, it was one of the zip code projects that the state had that tried to decrease crime in those zip code areas in cities that have a high crime. And I really began to look at what they were asking us to do terms of finding programs that could actually make a difference in the you know in the lives of our youth in the lives of families and the more we looked the more we saw that there were so many factors that contributed to crime that we weren't really considering. And when I say that, you know, kids need activities that are positive. They need a way to um, release 
all of that good energy, and they need encouragement, they need nurturing. And when we look at crimes, we were looking at behavior, we were looking at the family dynamics, we were looking, and all those things matter. But I'm saying we never looked at it in a holistic way. Uh, we didn't look at everybody's, um, every, everyone's responsibility. Let's say the law enforcement, big responsibility in our community. And when we were working, we made sure that we worked closely with law enforcement when we were working with 76707. Well, I feel like the Parents Against Crime Coalition uh, kind of helps bring those parents together to help understand maybe how to get into their, uh, how, to, how to connect with their kids. Yes. And what they can do as parents to steer their kids in the right direction. Uh, and, and maybe if they are traveling into to a life of crime, they can at least stop it early or at least kind of figure out from that kid's point of view, what do I need to do as a parent or as a community member like you and yourself to help to help the community as a whole? Um, if someone, you know, how did the Parents Against Crime Coalition start? How did that come about? There were several of us that sat down and I wrote it. Uh, we had board members, people like Shayla Williams that had a lot of input and then um, one of the things that they recommended was that we look at the schools, we look at the parents' engagement with the kids with the schools, how they work with the schools, not just what was going on in the families and the communities, but then how do we do this with law enforcement being a part of it? And that's still the thing we need to look at. How do we bring all these pieces together? But even though we're still trying to figure that out, when we wrote the program, we looked at making sure that law enforcement was involved. And uh, we have had one um, crime prevention festival since we've had the program with various law enforcement agencies. And we have met with law enforcement, uh, law enforcement members to, you know, get their input when we get ready to do things like that. Uh, we try to invite law enforcement um, to whatever we have because we think it's important that everybody works together and that, that our children, our families, uh, see law enforcement. I'll tell you all, when we had our forum last week, there was a child that mentioned that he didn't trust the police. And there was another child that said, I don't want to be a snitch. We want to take all of that. We want to remedy that. We want to learn to work together. And then with the increasing violence in Waco, we really, really wanted to do something that would speak to the community. We, we need to find a way to get everyone to the table, to get everyone involved. I know people can't all come together at the same time and, and, and solve this problem. But what we have to do is look at, still look at it holistically. For instance, what can our businesses do that can help reduce crime? I've spoken with a few businessmen, and, and one great suggestion uh, was talking about mentoring some of the families who were struggling. They may have jobs, but maybe they need to 
be upgraded. Maybe they need some training. Sure. And so encouragement. But then they also need to be willing to participate. They need to be willing to engage. They don't need to isolate themselves. And sometimes when we see our hot spots, a lot of people in the community look at it as an isolated community, one that they won't go into, one that they don't want to work with. And you have a lot of programs that realize that. And you can't give up on any of the youth, and you have to try to encourage the family. So what we want to do is see, okay, you have businesses over here. They come in, and they give their idea or suggestion for something that law enforcement could do in that particular community. Mm-hmm. Maybe they think, okay, law enforcement can go in and play football games with them. And I think it takes someone like yourself to kind of start and open that door because it is hard for maybe our officers to just kind of walk up and talk to the those community members that might be a little reserved uh, uh, for what our officers do. And I know that the Parents Against Crime Coalition, you have meetings and different types of public forums that allow those officers to come and speak uh, and can have a bit more of that candid conversation. Do you think those public forums are, are helping in that sense to kind of bridge that gap? I do, but I think we have to build on things like that. What I believe is that the more activities we have, where we have our parents and children together, where we have our parents understanding the need for them to be engaged as we have our activities. I believe that parents eventually understand that, hey, here's an opportunity for me to get in, do a little volunteer work, but be with my child and see what they're doing. And then they build more of a bond. You know, a lot of times young children who live in some communities They may have a lot of playmates, and next thing you know, they have a lot of peers that are kind of leading them, peers that they're, you know, playing with, talking with, uh, having hobbies with, playing ball with, whatever. But what happens is they start moving toward those peers and away from maybe um, very, uh, to me, maybe a parent or another significant person in their life they move away from them and toward their peers. And before you know it, there is a divide that nobody saw coming. In other words, if the peers say, hey, look, we're going to the mall this day, and they're demanding to go, they want to go, and the parents are saying, no, we're going to do this. They don't want to do what the parents want to do. They don't want to go to the movies with the parents (laughs) anymore. They don't want to go to the park with the parents anymore. They want to be with their friends. Mm -hmm. And this is happening at such an early age. But parents have to find a way to stay involved with the young people, keep doing activities with them. I know sometimes it seems elementary. My child doesn't want to go on a picnic. You know what? You pack that picnic lunch and you go anywhere. You stop at the pizza place and pick a pizza and take them out anyway. Mm-hmm. Something as simple as that can be right. so impactful to a young mind. Activities. That's right. Mm-hmm. Family, quality, time. Right. And that's what it is. The other thing, though, is when they go to school, parents should always know what they're doing in school. And let the children know that you care about any anything that they're doing. I'm just saying, if they're having a problem in math, you may not be a mathematician, but talk to them. 
if they tell you they're having a problem, you as a parent say, look, I'm going to find someone who can help you. Now, you may think, tutor, I have to pay a tutor. No, look for the resources out here. We want to connect parents with all of these wonderful resources we have. You have to talk to someone. You can't just say, oh, well, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to solve this. You can't blame the schools. You can't blame the teachers. You can't get angry with the child. You must try to, you know, calmly. And I don't want to see, you know, but you, you have right. to think this through. Mm-hmm. And you can't just do it off the cuff. You, as a parent, you look at that as a serious issue. If your child is having a problem at school, if your child is unhappy, you want to know why. Talk to that teacher, and you might find out that your child is struggling, that your child's grades have been low for the last three weeks. Now, what can you do? I think that plays back to maybe mental health. That's a big topic uh, in today's uh, world right now as as far as mental health goes and making sure that uh, the kids are getting the resources that they need because they can struggle too, like you've been saying. Uh, You know, the the violence we've seen in, in our community as well, I mean, it feels like, uh, you know, mental health may be able to play a factor into that. It kind of goes with if, if you're not able to respect yourself, how can you respect someone else? And so do you feel that um, by talking to these parents, by having these forums, um, do you feel like it's helping? Or, uh, what, what's the receptive? The I believe that the program helps uh, when we have, we have other things. For instance, when you want to invite people in, and you're talking about mental health, you can invite a psychotherapist in, you invite a social worker in, and you have different topics, and then you allow the parents to talk. I love when the parents, uh, when we have uh, you know, events and the parents are able to discuss and give us feedback and tell us what's going on. And even the children will tell you. And sometimes the children understand. They may not use the term trauma, but they understand when they're not doing well. And they will have a sadness, and then sometimes they'll, they'll have a complaint. And that complaint will let you see that, oh, this is bothering them. They don't like the neighborhood they, they're in. They don't like to hear the violence. They don't like to hear the gunshots at night. Some children have complained when they hear, oh, they see fighting. And so they have this fear. That's trauma. They may not be the ones involved, but it's trauma if they're afraid, if they're afraid that because they have witnessed some violence, then this is going to happen to them. It was like, you know, when they had the shooting in Uvalde, and some of the children had told their parents that they were afraid that they were afraid that, you know, someone might come into their school. This was already, this is something that had already happened. That, to me, is more common today among children because they're sharing their feelings about what happens. Because when they go to school, they may see something play out in the school that came directly from their neighborhood. So they see the same things happening in the school that they see in their neighborhoods. So that means that that culture has moved into that school. 
almost on the micro level instead of the macro level in the neighborhood. It's just a uh, can't think of the word, but a mirror image essentially of what's happening in the community as a whole is it's happening in their schools and they're seeing it on a more personal level because instead of hey down the street or on the corner, oh hey desk next to me. That's right. Mm-hmm. I think it's easy too for kids to uh, you know revert to anger to express their emotion because that's what they've learned, right? Mm-hmm. And when when if if you know if you're in a neighborhood and you're just being quiet and everybody else can you know demonstrate their feelings and they can express it and you may for a little while not do it and then after a while you said oh it's accepted you know no matter what i was taught in the house at home by my parents no matter what i was taught at school this is what they're doing so i better learn to express my anger i better raise up my voice another notch so that they can hear me because i don't want them to beat me down or think that i'm weak you see and kids that's a natural occurrence for kids you know how you can take on elements from your environment you do it in your homes this is how we learn this is called social conditioning right and so when you talk about monkey see monkey do yeah (laughs) and so when you talk about those kinds of things that uh, happen with our children and we think okay they're this age and it's too late but children want to be loved they want to be nurtured and we need to find a way to keep encouraging i am uh i'm a testament to that so second grade and third grade third grade especially my teachers essentially told my parents like he's not allowed back in the classroom because i was bored like i i would do whatever assignment and i would start causing trouble because i was bored fourth grade mr merrick at uh, my elementary school. I remember his name. I remember his classroom. I finished the assignment that he gave the whole class. And he's like, why don't you go find something that you want to look into? So I will never forget, He had it was a Montessori school. So they had like all these fun things to play with. It was plate tectonics. I did a, about three months of my own study in fourth grade on plate tectonics. <laughs> and these, these um, projects that I worked on, I used through high school and I ended up getting a minor in geology because of my interest in plate tectonics that Mr. American fourth grade let me discover. I love it. You yeah. know, I will never forget. Uh, I had to write, when I was working on my PhD, I had to write um, about my philosophy of education. And one of the things that I believed in, and it came from my own experience, but just like you say, I believed in the teacher taking a humanitarian approach and understanding that you have to try to get to know your students, connect with your students. Don't see that child as a problem. Look to try to figure out what's going on with that child. Connect with the child, talk with the child, and guess what? You never know what's really going on. You may have the key. A child likes art, and they're back there drawing, and they're in trouble because they're drawing. Guess what? This kid may become a world-famous artist one day. Exactly. Because they love this. And, and they finish their homework real quickly. And they're bored. And they start doing this, doing you know, just doing different things to distract other students in the class because they're slower. This child was faster. Mm-hmm. Guess what? You as a teacher, you have to, you have to be able to recognize that. Sure. Because you just turn that child's life around when you actually connect with that child and you treat all children the same. You don't say, oh, Johnny is 
So that I'm going to put him over here. I'm not going to, you know, we don't have to pay attention to him. But this one over here, we're going to just keep, you know, uh, we're going to keep nurturing him because he's doing so great over here and he's so good and he acts this way. No, we have to look at all of these children and all of those individualistic characteristics. So what you just said made me think of a quote. I remember it from Einstein, and that's what I was looking up. I wasn't texting, I promise. It's, everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing it's stupid. And I think that applies to our children this day and age where it's like, you're talking about the, the kids that excel, get all the attention. The other ones that are disruptive, hey, you're stupid. That's right. Eh, they're just not being challenged and That's applying right. themselves in a manner that you're able to measure with some sort of quantitative test. So that's it. Right. right. And, and save our children. Right? Yes. Yeah. Or else and they get they get in pushed that. into the wrong path and they get brought up into a world where they see more criminal activity and it can it can and, really harm and them. And those circles are giving them that attention, that validation, that acknowledgement that that's all they want. Yeah. yeah. Because right. those are the values. Bad. Yeah. Right. These are values and don't make me change my value system because once I become a teenager and y'all have not come to my neighborhood. You have not helped me. So we have to survive. These are survival tactics, and these are our values. And you don't know us, and so you, you don't understand us, but we have a way of life, and don't you dare interfere. So the struggle is going to continue, but they will all, the survival mode, it's like barely surviving, mm-hmm. struggling, you know, just barely making it, but whatever those tactics are, and if they happen to be criminal, getting the criminal activities, then you have your children. And this is what we try to do. We tell our parents, we don't have to lose our children to the criminal justice system. We have to do an intervention. We can begin to prevent, no matter where you live, parents invest love into your children. From a community member's standpoint, why do you feel it's important for the community, the organizations in the community, the businesses in the community, the teachers and schools and churches to work together with law enforcement? Let me tell you why. Because let's go back home. Let's start at home. When you have a problem at home, your parent you have a child that's struggling, you're not going to turn your back on that child and let that child struggle. And your other family members, if they see you struggling as a family, you got your extended family, they're not going to turn their back on you and say, oh, they can't pay their bills, they're struggling over there, their water is off, their gas is off. And they're not going to let you struggle. They're going to come talk to you. They're going to try to help you. What they say, teach a man to fish, you know. He learns. So if they need to help you, they'll help you in that way. Now, if they keep giving you, they'll be just being enablers. But I'm just saying, we have to learn to solve problems. So in a community, when you have law enforcement, they have a job to do. And we make the job of law enforcement so much more difficult when we don't know how to work with them, when we don't understand that they have a purpose for being here. And their purpose is to serve our community, make it safer so we can feel safe at home in our houses, so we can feel safe when we go out, right? And then we want to be able to call them when we have problems. 
when we work with our law enforcement, we make our community better. Just think, if we had a connected community, and I wish we could get this utopian-style community, but if we had this connected community where our churches, our businesses, our schools, our law enforcement, everybody was working together, and our families, no matter where they lived, they understood, hey, here are our friends right here. They're going to make it better. They're going to make, they have access to resources. They'll, you know, give us phone numbers. They give out cards. They tell you where to go, right? But it's like uh, Chief Victorian said, you know, if you commit a crime and you need to be apprehended, that's also what they're there for. Because if you're living in a neighborhood, you want to feel safe. You want to feel safe. You want to feel that you have law enforcement. So law enforcement cannot do this alone. They have a job. But the community also has a job when it comes to police. I believe our neighborhood associations could be strong and they could play such a vital role. But it's difficult. Mm -hmm. How do you get everyone that lives it's in getting the community people involved, to right? get, get over there and get with their neighborhood associations? Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the you know, smartest things that we did in Waco was to organize those neighborhood associations. Yeah, and now each neighborhood association is, has an officer paired with it to help them with maybe certain crime in their area, help them figure out what they can do to combat that and reduce that crime in their area. we need area. to grow it, don't we? We need to, Absolutely. Get, every, we need to get that neighborhood association yes. really being about the neighborhood. And that's part of what those that. officers are doing to help. Mm -hmm. Before we wrap it up here, uh, anyone that wanted to be a part of Parents Against Crime Coalition or to learn more about it, what can they do? Okay. Um, they can contact me at, um, I'm on Facebook. We have a website that we're reading developing there is a website but we're, re we're restructuring that website so that website should be up by next week but uh on facebook we're parents against crime coalition and they can leave a message in the inbox and then we have pack panel for those people who want to get engaged and just start discussing issues right there in pack panel they can just ask to be a member they come in and we have private discussions and they give their you know, solution. Right. And I do want to tell you all, we, what we're trying to do now, we're talking with different uh, people. We haven't spoken with everyone yet, so I've, I've spoken with a few people. We started this, um, it's uh, Down With Violence, I'm, I'm sorry, Turn Down Violence, Turn Up Peace. And we want to make sure that we're able to do something in this community. We wanted to see, since Everything has been happening here with crime, not just in Waco, but then we look at Uvalde and everything. We just think it should be on our hearts to just have, um, I don't want to call it a rally, but we need to have a gathering. And we're going to talk about what that should be called. But we need to do that in person, and then we need to figure out how to do it virtually on a regular basis. Yeah. We need to find a way to keep the dialogue going, and hear people. We need to hear them. A lot of people are hurting. Their hearts are hurting right now. It's just a lot of heartbreak. And every time we lose a young person or anybody in this community, that's heartbreaking. You know, violence yes. is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. even, even the perpetrators, it's heartbreaking because we lose on both ends, right? And then... Think about those babies, and that's that's just something that's just crushing, mm -hmm. you know. And so I hope 
that there will be a way for us to come together. And, and you know, the thing about having a program is it takes a lot of time, but it takes a lot of people. It takes a lot of hours, and we need those. That, that's the type of investment that I would like to see. I would like to see that investment of, uh, you know, people's time, volunteers and everything. And, and I know that everybody is not going to be able to volunteer. So we're getting ready to do some fundraising. We're also going to be writing some grant proposals because we know that if we really want to make a difference, we can't keep doing it off of a shoestring budget. And we're not able to reach enough people and do enough. Sure. And we need to really come together and figure out a way that we can actually connect we're called coalition for a reason. Uh, this was not never about one organization. Coalition means you have to work with the community, work with law enforcement, work with the schools, work with other programs. We must, if we're going to be able to address, because we cannot, none of us alone can solve this issue. Well, Betty, thank you so very much for, for joining us here on Waco PD on the Beat. We're going to have Sergeant Cassie Price come on right after you to talk about uh, the you know target enforcement that we as our, our officers have been doing to kind of stop this crime and minimize it and arrest those repeating offenders that we've had. So, Betty, again, thank you so much. And uh, before we wrap it up here, anything else that you'd like to say? Uh, no, I just would like to say that I hope that we will be able to get Waco involved in uh, these uh, community violence prevention forums that we're having because we definitely want to keep working. We're not going to stop. We need volunteers. We need people who will become mentors for our, our uh, parents and kids, and we just need them to just connect. And uh, if we need volunteers. Uh, our young, young, young ones can be packed buddies. They help the young ones read, so okay. we take them age 12 and up. Wonderful. Well, Betty Beard with Parents Against Crime Coalition, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. All right. So thank you to Betty. We just had her on. And now we have Sergeant Cassie Price here. She's part of the gang unit. And uh, we appreciate you coming on and speaking with us on the second half of this episode about gun violence. Um, before we get into that, uh, talk a little bit about uh, just yourself, uh, your stint here at Waco PD and kind of how you've uh, gotten to the place that you are now. Okay, um, I've been here at Waco for about 14 years. I worked uh, six years on patrol uh, in the North Waco area, then um, tested for special crimes, which works like homicide, sexual assaults, uh, aggravated robberies. I uh, stayed in investigator position for about six years, and then I tested for supervisor. Now I'm currently the gang supervisor. Very good. And it, being the gang supervisor, I'm sure you have to deal with a lot of different situations, uh, especially more recent ones that we've had as far as shootings, gun violence, things like that. Uh, we've heard, uh, you know, Chief Victorian talk a lot about targeted operations, and I know that your unit is the one that kind of handles those. Um, before we get into kind of the outcomes of this, um, in the last year, of course, the community has seen an increase in the shootings around the area. Uh, you know, how have you seen crime increase being in the gang unit? Um, I think coming, even though I uh, haven't been in patrol for a while, but been a patrol officer and doing those traffic stops, it was 
very rarely found a firearm. It was, if you got drugs or something like that, that was somewhat common. And it was not as common as today uh, with the firearms. Like, it seemed like every traffic stop were pulling a gun out of a, a car and not a legally possessed firearm because you can travel with firearms in your vehicle. But more and more traffic stops are leading to uh, us seizing illegally possessed firearms. And it's just, it's crazy because it wasn't, you just didn't see it as often. Um, so I think that's alarming and concerning for everyone's safety. So I feel like she asked you a couple of easy questions. Mine's going to be a little bit harder. Um, so we might always see like a, a little bit of an increase in whatever type of crime we're talking about. But this year in particular, it seems like there's been a very big increase and it's been big enough for the community to notice. What have you guys been doing to combat that and kind of help give people some peace of mind? Like let them know the behind the scenes work that you guys are doing. Um, actually, I guess I can answer that in two different ways. I believe that there was an increase, too, so I asked our analysts to pull statistics and really were on the same track for last year's. Um, it hasn't been really? that big of an increase. Oh, okay. It's just that we're being more transparent with uh, the information that we're out, putting out to the public. Um, but it does personally feel <laughs> like there is an increase because I was shocked. I, I was ready to report like this huge increase of shootings and uh, violence. Um, and it really seems since seems since uh, COVID occurred that we are seeing these increases. And just me personally, um, what are we doing to uh, fight these in, I guess, to, what's the word you're looking for, to combat the problem? Um, we're running different investigations. We're targeting hot spots. Uh, and what I mean by that is the areas in which these discharges are occurring, um, or where the drive-by sh shootings are occurring. Uh, we're reaching out to the people that are involved um, in hoping that they will communicate and talk to us about this because without their help, it, it takes a lot longer to make any progress. How successful is that? Well, we are uh, seeing some success. Uh, recently, we've uh, made, I think, five arrests for individuals that have uh, conducted a, a, a drive-by shooting. Uh, the problem is that, you know, it was three months worth of work to make those five arrests that just now, and it took us, it wasn't an overnight thing. We we're not able to arrest somebody because they did something yesterday uh, due to all the uh, work that we have to do. And I'm sure, you know, while it's taking you those three months to get that information, to get the warrant, they've probably yeah, done it, something else that they're adds to it. They're reoffending, definitely. What I'm sure as far as when you are trying to solve these cases, there's many challenges that come up mm -hmm. when figuring out who that offender is. What are some challenges that you that the gang unit sees that kind of sets those back with not being able to rest quicker? Uh, lack of help from the community. Uh, people, they'll be drive-by shootings with numerous people out there, even neighbors. Maybe they're not even involved, but they don't want to say what they saw because they're afraid of what might happen to them. Uh, so a lot of people, if they do talk to us, it will be a hearsay information. So-and-so told me this, so-and-so told me that. It's never firsthand. And for us, it has to be firsthand information. Mm -hmm. Hearsay is not admissible in court. Therefore, it is nice getting some of that information. It may let us know that we're headed in the right direction. 
But if we actually have someone take a stand and say, we're not putting up with this anymore and we want to help, that would be helpful. Because otherwise, it just takes much, much, much longer. We're waiting for physical evidence, and that can take a while. I may word this very confusingly, but do you think that a lot of the people not wanting to report are not wanting to do so because they are also involved? Or do you think it's like the neighbor next door doesn't want to get involved? Both. Or is it's both? It's both. Is yeah. one, does one seem like it might be more impactful on your investigations? Yes. Well, in the gang unit, what we're seeing is a lot of these shootings are retaliation, retaliatory. Um, there may be a shooting in a particular person's house, and then the next one is going to be at the other person's house, and it will go back and forth. And these individuals know who, or they have an idea who may be doing this, and they're not giving us that information. They're not saying. They don't know. Uh, I've seen to the point where people are trying to remove evidence from the scene, uh, things to this nature, uh, which makes it more difficult. Not only are you not speaking out and telling us or talking to us, um, you're also disturbing the scene that might help us potentially solve that uh, incident. So is that something, like you said, the community speaking up more, key eyewitnesses talking, is that something they can do to help, or are there other things that the community can do to help to help solve these investigations? Um, you know, a lot of people, if they have ring cameras or if they have cameras, um, that is obviously helpful. Um, I know we have your tip line. I was waiting for the shameless plug for Crime Stoppers <laughs> to sneak <Yes>. that in. <laughs> uh, I know there is Crime Stoppers, which is anonymous. Um, uh, information through that, if that's the way you want to uh, help share information, then use that because I know we do uh, get a lot of tips from there. Um, just be as detailed as you can with Crime Stoppers. A lot of times when I, I get information, it may just say uh, this person's social media website uh, usernames this, but there's no photos. Or they say this person's posting this on social media, but doesn't send me the username for that. Um, so those things are helpful. Um, any tips, really. Uh, a vehicle description, if you see it. Um, people that's having problems. It's not, there, there's just so much you can do. I mean, the community, obviously, I think is going to be the key to success is I'm tired of my community be or our, my neighborhood being shot at because what they're doing is they're targeting individual people. Right. Uh, and that could be your neighbor. And how many times are you going to put up with that as a neighbor? Um, so that's right. And I think that's something, like you just said, to expand off that is they're targeted. They're isolated incidents, which in a sense are good. Yes. Um, and that's something that we are – starting to share with the community that there there isn't a public worry that needs to happen, but there is a um, a public stance that needs to happen, I think, in that we all need to work together to help. Because a lot of times, too, I feel that the community might think we have all this power and information and we can just walk up to someone and say it was you and arrest them, but it's yeah, not that yeah. easy. Big brother may be watching you, but we are not your big brother. <laughs> No, we don't have um, that kind of control that the movies show. And just so by someone saying that this person did it, that w that's not enough to go arrest somebody. Uh, you have to prove that, you know. So we need that evidence or those statements and whatnot. Like you said, um, 
The one thing that I did find that was scary, I want to say back in March, we did have two uh, dry, well, I call them dry by, we would refer to them as deadly conducts here, uh, right off of Lakeshore and um, Waco Drive and Richland and Sanger. Uh, individuals opened fire on moving cars out in the middle of broad daylight. Mm-hmm. Uh, one individual was struck that wasn't, it was a mistaken identity in that sense. So that is alarming and concerning, and that's why we need to step up is because just as in drive-by shootings, the bullets don't have a particular person's name on them. They just go to where it's been discharged at, and that's how we have people that aren't even involved in um, these altercations become victims and get hurt. Right. Yeah. And I think, too, it's, it's uh, something that we've spoken about before is it's not worth it. It's never worth it to take someone's life, try to take someone's life, even if maybe the shooting is more of kind of a fear tactic. They might not be intending to go shoot someone, but they might decide to maybe just shoot the car or the house or something like that. And you just don't know who or what you're going to hit. And it's just, it's, uh, it's sad to see that this has become kind of, um, a, uh, an issue, not only in Waco, but you know, yeah, all over, all over. I think the worst part for me is I feel like the value of life that they're not seeing how significant that is because so many people are losing their lives. And, and I know not like, like you said, not just in Waco, but, um, for us, how many youths do we have to lose? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and regardless of, if it was your friend, family member, or somebody you went to school with, that that loss of that person is going to impact our community. Right, right. And I think, too, a lot of the shootings that we're seeing in Waco, uh, and, and you can say, you know, yes or no to this, but I feel a lot of the younger generation is the one that's kind of maybe stirring up the the crime here. I mean, we're not seeing, like, 50 and no, f- uh, older 40-year-old that's, that's people. That's what I was about to say is the tips that do have pictures, it looks like, 12 or 13 year old with a gun and that just blows my mind well being with the gang unit we do investigate adult gang um identify gang members and juvenile uh gang members i can tell you that 90 percent of our time is dealing with the juvenile offender or gang offenders um they're definitely more active uh, i believe they don't show any regard to life um so we're seeing them do probably about 90 95 percent of the offenses that we're investigating right uh and the shootings take up our time and that's what we're going to concentrate on is because we want to stop the violence we're going to concentrate on the individuals that are conducting these drive-by shootings because like you said it doesn't have somebody's name you may intended to just um scare somebody but accidentally killed someone Mm-hmm. Um, so that is what we're going to investigate. That's what we've been targeting. And that's what some of those violent crime uh, targeted uh, operations are for, is we're going to go in those areas and target the individuals that we believe are responsible for that. Um, and at a certain point, once we get the physical evidence and have enough to make the arrest, we will make the arrest. Right, right. So you guys are, uh, you know, identifying those offenders, either making arrests with the offenders you already know of, uh, and you're also maybe seizing those guns that are used in those crimes. Um, what are some of the, I guess, stats that you have as far as the work you've done thus far this year? Um, 
So right now, I know in the last few months, we were able to get uh, nine guns off the street. Out of those nine guns, three of them have come back to numerous uh, drive-by shootings. So we're working on getting arrest warrants and building the cases for that. But one thing that I thought that was interesting uh, talking to our crime scene technicians is how many firearms are actually being collected and are we on uh, the same path as we were last year? I wrote this down, so I have to look at this because I can't remember where I wrote it. While she's looking for this, uh, an opportunity to bring up something new that Crime Stoppers is doing and hopefully increase these numbers uh, going through the rest of this year. Crime Stoppers will pay up to a $1,000 reward for a tip leading to the recovery of an illegal firearm for our Grand for a Gun campaign to help end gun violence. But now you have your stats. Okay. Yes, so in my stats, um, so in 2020, 289 firearms were seized uh, due to criminal investigations. In 2021, 436 firearms were seized. Uh, in 2022, just in the four months, because I don't have May stats, we have uh, seized over 281 firearms. So we're on a huge increase um in the pace if we continue to go this way will be significant compared to last year's that's incredible um it is just that that number that's insane to to hear that number and i mean that number is only going to grow from here i'm sure yeah and that's not that's not legally possessed those are illegal firearms illegal firearms 281 illegal firearms just this year just for them uh from january to april wow wow Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, with with all of that said, um, what's something that you'd like to explain the, to the community about your work or your unit or something that you would like the community to remember as they see another shooting happening in the news or they see another press release about someone being killed? I would ask them to get involved, uh, stand up for what you believe in and make the community a safer place. I agree. I think that's one thing that, um, you know, we've, we've, we've been, we've been trying to say this, this whole time is that we need your help. It's a help you help us situation. And so uh, we can't do the job without you guys. Yeah. I mean, the people listening to this and everyone else in the community are the eyes and ears that are there 24 seven. You guys can work as much surveillance as you want, but you're not going to be there 24 seven and you're not going to be in the whole city. So we need that buy-in and cooperation. And if you're scared, Contact Crime Stoppers. If you don't want to say anything, hey, Crime Stoppers will pay you up to $2,000 if it leads to an arrest. So anonymously say it to us, and I'll get it to Sergeant Price or whoever it needs to go to. Yeah, yeah. Well, Sergeant Price, thank you so much for joining us here on this episode of Waco PD on the Beat. If you've got nothing else to say, I think we can wrap it up here. Yeah. Yep. You're good. good. Wonderful. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. I'm Sierra Shipley, the public information officer. I'm Officer AJ Smith, the Crime Stoppers coordinator for McClellan County. Have a good one, Waco. Till next time. Waco PD on the beat. The heartbeat serving. Beat.